Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan Hawke, Marissa Tomei, and Albert Finney. Written by Kelly Masterson and directed by Sidney Lumet. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to continue our New Year's cask of heists, heist films. And today we're returning back to the well of Sidney Lumet. He did Dog Day Afternoon last week's episode. Uh, and to do a film that I very rarely hear people talk about. Um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead from 2007. Um, 2007 was a big year for movies. Mm -hmm. There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men. So I could see how this kind of got lost in all that kind of award shuffle. Yeah. But this was actually a film recommendation from you. I I remember it so vividly, Matt. You gave me four or five DVDs just off your shelf, just like, here, you might like these. Go give them a watch. It was this one, uh, The Man from Elysium Fields, uh, I think Stranger Than Fiction, and then uh, Channel, Channel Z. Z. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Like uh, So uh, I watched them all, but this was one that really stuck with me. And I'm glad we have a cast now where we can kind of just talk about it, break it down. It does have the feeling that it was set up to be one of those award-baiting, mm-hmm. Oscar-baiting kind of films, doesn't like it? Like Michael Clayton? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly like Michael Clayton. And yeah. when you put that cast mm-hmm. together exactly. and you have the director that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure about the Masterson guy. Uh, I don't know what he's done before or since. Or she, yeah. Oh, she, sorry. Yeah. But, um, and I don't... No, think- no, she's... I, I looked it up because I was like, what a great screenplay yeah. in this film. She did Snowpiercer and then two other films I did. The last one was in 2014, so not a whole lot else. Adapted material, spec, do you know? Spec. Wow. Yep. There you go. Even more impressive. Even more impressive indeed. Excellent. So today we're going to be having some Basil Hayden's Mm. toast. So Basil Hayden's, one of our first staples. I think that was the first bottle we actually started the show with was just Basil Basil Hayden's proper. Yeah. But this is a new toasted line. So just a more toasted charred barrel. So Mm -hmm. to you, cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it's the traditional Basil Hayden drink, just a little more toastier char, almost like the charred elements on like good barbecue is how I best describe it. Burnt ends, Basil Hayden. There you go. There, you're perfect. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get started with our flight question. So Matt, when I was watching this movie, I heard the the score and this thing. And I was like, "Gosh, this sounds like a score from like a Coen Brothers movie. This sounds like Fargo or Bed or uh, Burn After Reading." Or sure enough, it's the same composer. So my ears did not deceive me. <laughs> I'm curious if that composer is the same one that did the Twenty Fifth Hour. Oh, maybe because it sounds similar to that to me as I'll, well. I'll look. Yeah, another movie that might come up. Yeah, that that'd be a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So in the vein of how Matt recommended this movie to me all those many moons ago, we decided for our Flight of Night Cap to give each other more recommendations and then you, the Rye audience, some film homework recommendations to uh, just, you know, further your film viewing experiences. So I'm going to go first for the flight question. Matt will pick it up again for the nightcap. So three off the beaten path recommendations uh, that you can seek out. Number three for me. I just watched this recently. I was I was sick recently, so this was probably the fever dream uh, <laughs> film that I absolutely needed to see. 
It's on Shudder, and to Shudder's credit as a streaming service, they have a way of resurrecting films from the 70s and 80s that are, like, dead. No one's heard about them, uh, no one's ever seen them, and then they put them on the streaming platform for, you know, more people to see. So it's on there now. It's called Fangs or Snakes. <laughs> mm. One of two titles, but, Matt, this movie was bananas. It's about a guy, his name's Snakey Bender. He's, like, a, like a dirty old crustacean man who just shows snakes to the, the local town partitioners and they all hate him. They all hate, you know, what a, like a loser he is. And he's this old el- elderly man. Think of uh, uh, Walter Houston in uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. He looks okay. just like him. Mm. But he, w- the thing that hangs him up is he has his Wednesday night routines, which is listen to John Philip Sousa concerts with his buddy where they have like Tarantino level conversations about Sousa. It was crazy. Wow. Or then he takes his snakes over to this woman's house where the woman essentially gets off when the snakes are on her. I kid Mm. you not. So what happens is everyone starts canceling him on Wednesday night. So he's like, I ain't having that. You ain't ruining my routine. So he's going to, he goes and starts killing all his friends using his snakes as a way to kill them. Wow. It was bananas in all the best ways. I can't recommend this one higher to you Mm. Um, and never heard of it until two weeks ago. Yeah. Fangs or snakes. Anybody recognizable in not, the cast? Not at all. It's B-list. so low budget, but it had like the charm of like bad, you know, B-level horror movie, mm-hmm. like in spades. It was cool. it was so much fun. That sounds good. <laughs> right. Fangs or snakes. Yeah, there you go. On Shudder only. So okay. number two for me, I tried to kind of, you know, think of maybe some more just, you know, different movies. And I kind of thought about music mm. uh, concerts. Mm. Um, we all know Woodstock and, you know, a mm. lot of those concerts. So I want to recommend to everyone the Monterey Pop Music Festival. Uh, it's on the Criterion channel and on HBO Max. You get, a, you know, the, the Criterion disc of it. But it's one of the music festivals of that era that actually went fairly well. It yeah. wasn't chaotic. <laughs> it wasn't Altamont. It they didn't choose Hell's Angels to be the they, security for that they, one? They did not. It was it was a fairly by-the-books event, but you had the likes of, hang on, I have I have the lineup here. Miles Davis. Uh, the Association, Jefferson Airplane, The Who, Grateful Dead, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Big Brother and Holding Company, Otis Redding, Ravi Shankar, Mamas and the Papas. I mean, it's the way they filmed this concert, though, is I think why I like it so much. It's some interviews here and there, but it's just people that just want to come listen to good music. I mean, it's and it's a very well structured event, and then the the music just slays, kills, yeah, so good, nice, good. There's like a 20 minute Ravi Shankar like solo, and you just kind of like zone out and get into it, and they're like, man, the the craft it would to even play a sitar, first of all. And then this guy's just like shredding on it as as much as you can shred on a sitar. Mm-hmm. So check that one out. If it's different than Woodstock and different, like I said, than the Altamont Free Concert, Isle of Wight. I mean, th- this is a different beast altogether, and it's really well made. Cool. I have two honorable mentions, uh, but and then I have my my final choice here, <laughs> as we do. Uh, in, in, in honor of this film, I don't think enough people have seen this movie and maybe there's a space we can, if we get into like a political thriller realm, I want more people to see the Ides of March. Oh, heck yeah. I think that's one of my favorite thrillers of the 21st century. And I, I don't hear people talk about it nearly enough. Mr. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Marissa Tomei in that one as well. Right. Uh, so that was an honorable mention. And then another one I saw recently, uh, is called Tower. And this is a rotoscope animation. So those out there, rotoscope, if you remember Scanner Darkly, where they essentially animate over actors. So that's the style. 
and it's about the Tex- University of Texas uh, tower shooter uh, Charles Whitman, that mass shooting there. But it was a documentary that was part animation, part documentary, and it was remarkable. I'd never seen anything like that before. So I'm kind of into animation right now, and that was just kind of like perfect. Cool. But my number one choice, and I, I, I think we've talked about this cast before, like an addiction cast or like, you know, those that abuse substances type of a thing. I, I think I found a film for it, and I want more, it came out in 2020. Foreign film, kind of under the radar, but it's uh, it stars someone we really like, Mads Mikkelsen. It's a Swedish film. It's called Another Round. I think I told you a little bit about this one. This is him and his buddies. They're all teachers of various sort, and they kind of figured if they could drink during school that they might be better teachers. So they concoct an idea if they can keep it just to get that buzz that they'll be more open, they'll they'll be just better teachers altogether. So as an experiment, and of course it goes awry. Sure. It goes crazy. What could possibly go wrong? And they take it to levels you wouldn't believe. Mm. And Mickelson is amazing. It's another just performance which just makes me think of what a great actor that we currently have right now. Mm. Uh, I would love to watch this one with you and, and do it for one of the episodes, but I want more people to see it. So get over the subtitles, everybody. Yeah. Uh, check out another round from 2020. Surprised you didn't do blue is the warmest color. Oh, uh, yeah, that's another one, too. Yeah, that's that'd be another one kind of in, in, in the stockpile as well. I'm intrigued on that um, another round one. Mm-hmm. We got to find a way to work that and maybe we could do one on education or something. Education or just binge drinkers. I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, leaving Las Vegas or, you know, I'm sure we could find another one. there. just hard drinking. Lost weekend. Oh, there you go. There you go. There's the cast. Leaving Las Vegas last weekend in another round. There you go. Hard drinking cast. As we drink. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I I hope you uh, check out some of those. Maybe we'll do some on the podcast, and I'm excited to see what you got coming up for us in the nightcap. Awesome. Excellent. Well, let's get right to our review breakdown of Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. What are you saying? It's worth about 600 grand, and it's insured, so it's a victimless crime. I offer that in case your faggoty little conscience bothers you. I lay it off on 20 cents on the dollar. That's 60 grand each, give or take. I can't believe this is you that's talking. Believe it. So it's safe. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody wins. It's perfect. What? What did... Do you need money? Of course I need money, but this is... Serious crime. I'm not a serious crime kind of guy. I got a kid. You got shit. You got a whole lot of shit. You said so yourself. All the time. Every day. You know what? It's not as serious as you might think. We'll get we'll get to that scene here in a little bit. Break break that down and why they're in the precarious situations that they're in. But let's start at the beginning. Start with the sex scene. <laughs> it's, uh, so Philip Seymour Hoffman and Marissa Tomei, uh, I'm going to get you their, their character names really quick here. Um, but they are married. Uh, they play Andy and Gina Hansen and kind of from the get go, from the way this scene is just portrayed to us, you kind of think, you know, they're in a good spot just relationship wise, but it's not until we start, you know, peeling back the veil of their characters that we realize, this isn't this isn't a great relationship. It's kind of falling apart all around us as as we speak. But they, they keep bringing up Rio, Matt. Is this was this like a trip that they went on that they had a good time? 
Um, things were good then, but now they're back to reality and everything's kind of crumbling around them. Well, one of the things that is going to make this movie a little bit challenging is the sequencing. Yeah, I'm going to do our best to keep us in order. Kind of keep it in order. Um, we start off with Andy. What's Versatome? Gina. Gina. Been over, shown her the 50 states, which that in and of itself is pretty shocking. To this point, I think Marissa Tomei was real particular about um, what she was going to show and didn't, and then the wrestler's going to follow this one. So I guess when mm, she finally mm-hmm. showed her boobs, she wasn't afraid to show them anymore. It was the same year as this movie. Big year for her. Um, post-coital, okay, so the, the sex scene is, is what it is, right? Yeah. Post-coital, though, is a very interesting discussion. There seems to be mm-hmm. a genuine happiness between this couple yeah. that maybe had been devoid for a while. Mm-hmm. And we start having a conversation about, can we stay here in Brazil? Um, and you can see that Andy, wheels are clicking. How can I make this happen? Because, oh my gosh, my wife seems happy, mm. satisfied. Um, and all that's going to sort of come to fruition, why it matters a little bit later in the show and a little bit later in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. But when he says, I'll think about it, and it's not an immediate yes, she rolls over. And he says, hey, babe, where'd you go? Mm -hmm. And you can tell that there is a problem here. Yeah. And being that it's brought up strictly on money, it has to be with money. So you think Brazil is strictly metaphorical at this point? I do. And I I mean, I think it's a vacation. I think they they got away for a little while. Okay. Uh, I do think they're there. And she makes a comment later on, like, he finds me attractive even when I'm not on vacation. Mm -hmm. But it's fleeting. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. And for a guy based on, or a character or a cast, based on the the aesthetic of who you're playing opposite, he's kind of out of his league. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. So he's either got to have a lot of money. Which he kind of does. Or at least plays like he does. His job would elude him that he does. Sure. (laughs) Or, I don't know, there's a wonderful sense of humor or something along those lines, because for her to settle on him, there's got to be something. And that sounds real shallow and surfacey, but it's cast that way on purpose. They could have used a lot of people other than Philip Seymour Hoffman to play this. And well, they then, kind of cast the dumpy doofus. Yeah. Dork. Yeah. And then she's trading up a little bit too on the side. <laughs> we'll get to that here yeah. in a second, but then the very next scene I like how we kind of start, this is probably like the middle of the movie that we're getting to a a short little glimpse of, which is the heist component of our film, which is uh, this uh, robbery of this little mom and pop uh, jewelry store. I think we're in New York, man. I think I saw the Chrysler building in one of the shots. So I think this is just New York suburbia here. Uh, That just totally goes to hell instantly. Aunt May, no. (laughs) Poor Aunt May. (laughs) It is her, right? It is Aunt May from the original Spider-Man trilogy. But this heist just goes, like I said last week, it just goes tits up like instantly. (laughs) And she pulls a gun on the guy. He shoots her. She shoots him out the at the window. He looks dead already. And she does looks a little bit uh, worse for wear as well. And then we cut to the parking lot and this guy in this horrible disguise uh, panics and just takes off, uh, takes it all off. We, this is revealed to be Eth, uh, Ethan Hawk. I almost called him Ethan Hunt for Mission Impossible. A little bit disguisey like Mission Impossible, but uh, we don't know yet how he fits into this. And then when we kind of put two and two together that, you know, 
he's brothers with the guy we saw before, Andy, then it starts all kind of fitting together. I think that's my favorite part of the movie is everything's so jumbled and you're kind of taking information as you get it. And it's not until later when everything starts fitting into its rightful puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the fun, I think, of a just a, a, a purpose purposefully disjointed movie like this. And then we get our title, which... Uh, May you be in heaven a full half hour before the devil knows you're dead. Mm-hmm. What a kind of ominous, ominous thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we get right to it. We get to know a little bit more about Hank. Uh, this is Ethan Hawke's character, and Hank's just kind of down on his luck. He's barely making ends meet at whatever his his job his job is. Right. Uh, has a fleeting relationship with his daughter, a cantankerous relationship with his ex-wife, played by Amy Ryan. Uh, she just wants alimony money, money f- uh, for to send the kids to schools for this trip, and he just doesn't have it. I mean, he can't even whittle together the nine hundred dollars that he owes her, much less the one eighty to send her on the trip uh, <laughs> to New York to go see the Beauty see and the, the Beast. Lion King. Yeah. So flip the script immediately, and let's see the other um, brother. Same issue though, in a different manner. Yeah. It has to do with money. Mm -hmm. Interesting, though, it's portrayed with both of them in regards to money necessary for woman. (laughs) Exactly. And the strange thing about it is um, Ethan Hawke's wife, -wife, ex-wife, Amy, is that what her name is? Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan, yeah. Is all about the money, whereas Gina, Andy's wife, isn't about the money. She's about the attention. Mm -hmm. So... Although money is in play for both of the males as it pertains to the deconstruction of problems in the relationship or turmoil in the relationship post-marriage, the women come at it from two very different perspectives. Absolutely, yeah. Which, let's bring the third woman into this, which is the mom. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess maybe this is early, but we find out the woman that's in the bank is not the hired help on Saturday, it's... The mom. You know, and I think when we put it together is in these scenes after this baseball game mm-hmm. and then this pitch to him, you, hey, you need money. I know you do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Let's just do this robbery. Like, who am I talking to? Is this my brother or what? Uh, the little girl has a, a like a play recital. Mm-hmm. And then we see the whole family there. Yeah. We see Rosemary Harris and we're like, wait a minute. From the beginning, mm-hmm. that's the mom. Why was Ethan Hawke part of a heist that is now involved his mom getting shot? This is three or four days prior. Interesting that the mom in this shootout that she has with the jewelry store robber Mm -hmm. seems to be very protective over the assets that he's trying to steal. She's really not in harm's way. Like he's got her at the end of a gun, but and, and again, that's scary. I'm not trying to make light of that. Yeah. I don't really think he's going to shoot her. Yeah. But she... She shoots first. Pulls a fast one on him and kind of shoots him first. And it's almost like she's more protecting the legacy of what that store was and Mm. what they've built than it was the resources that he's stealing. Because let's talk about one other thing, too, that's interesting. Yeah. And it was in the opening sound that you played. Yeah. If the haul from the heist is 600K... And you can sell it off at twenty cents on the dollar. Yeah. Well, you're not getting much. Sixty k. Well, it's one. Six hundred k is about what Philip Seymour Hoffman estimates the take would be from the heist. After of the it's Drew. been fenced, yeah. After it's fenced, there's yeah. only hundred and twenty. Yeah. So split that two. 
Sixty k, sixty thousand. Yeah, exactly. it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. Oh, yeah. Well, it is, but it's nothing. Yeah, in a, a heist. Yeah, and then especially for what Hoffman plans to use this for to relocate his whole life. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's not going to. Well, that's, I don't know what the cost of living is in Brazil these I don't days. No, like <laughs> you might be okay for a bit, but like that's still not. It's it's not. That's chump change. You're taking on a pretty big risk for I think a minimal payday. Yeah, and then the minimal payday is halved. Is okay, it, is it because that they don't assess risk at this point mm-hmm. because of the familial ties? Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. They know how to do it. They know who's going to be there. And if we just get in, get out, no big deal. Yeah, and then this is where it all just goes to hell. The three instances we've spoken of with the money though might be a statement that the director Sidney Lumet is making about the progression of life. Mm. If you are Andy and you are in that ambitious state, that might be representative of the family jewel business Mm -hmm. and what it's provided later on. Like, if you can make it work, you carve a way out for us. If you don't, then you get to see the Ethan Hawke lifestyle, which is troubles with alimony, broken, down on his luck, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So is that the end result? Because what's really telling, and this is the final piece of the movie, and I'm not giving anything away here. Yeah. When Ethan, I'm sorry, when when Andy has the discussion with his father. Oh, yeah. That's sort of lamenting over what their relationship has been for these 50 years-ish. I don't know how old he is in this mm-hmm. film. The father seems resolute in his beliefs that he botched this, but it was for good cause because he wanted his son to be better than he was. Yeah. Frankly, his son is exactly him without the success. Yeah. Or maybe without the long-term dedication in order to get it to whatever life the jewelry store has provided for Albert Finney and Rosemary Harris in their latter years. So is this a tale of labor and ambition and perseverance and dedication? Maybe. But in a weird way, this isn't really a morality tale of what you should or shouldn't do because no, yeah. the ending is pretty blurry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm making, I'm just drawing a correlation between each of the three situations and how they interplay with beginning, middle, and end, or beginning, beginning, and end. Well, there's a fourth situation in there that we could also bring in, too, which is the other woman, which is Michael Shannon's oh, sister. right, sure. Yeah, that puts another kind of, you know, hook in this whole thing, yeah. which is she's the the wife of the man who gets killed here in the, bank, uh, the jewelry store at the beginning, and now she wants to know what happened and who's going to pay the bills, who's going to, you know, be the breadwinner here because... You know, she's taking care of the baby, but now there's no income coming into the house. Now, what are we going to do about that? Yeah. Further complicates this thing. That's what I love about it, too, is like when you think they're making headway with like covering their tracks, there's like another thing that comes in and like, oh, gosh, they're just so screwed. Like, there's no way out of this, no. but down. This is something I've wanted to talk to you about all week. Let's do this okay. for a minute. Yeah. I often used to pose a question in class to my students, which was, if you could rob a bank and get away with it, would you? Mm. And that was all prefaced by the FDIC and it's backed up by blah, 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 blah and insurance and all these things. And if you could do it, would you get away with it? And it would be various hands that went up from time to time. And then I would try to push them to sell them into like, are you sure? Mm -hmm. This is, I think that playing out in a what if with a much more significant and real role. Yeah. 
Okay, so if the answer to that what if you could rob a bank and get away with it is yes, because I would be able to be in Brazil with this woman or this person that I love, Mm -hmm. then I think the initial plan to rob this this jewelry store is pretty solid. Let me give you why I'm going to argue this. Okay. Both of the boys work there because it's a family business. Yeah. So they're familiar with it. Yeah. Have worked there. Have worked there. Mm-hmm. They know the codes. There is very limited security. No security. It's in a strip mall on a sleepy Saturday before it's even open. Yep. The woman that's running it is, I don't want to say incapable, but not really the toughest line of defense you're going to have to go through in order to get the jewels. Mm-hmm. And they already have the jeweler set up to fence this stolen merchandise and get the payout on. Mm-hmm. No cops. Yeah. You know the you know the environment. You don't have to break in. Yeah. It's kind of it's better than quick last, and dirty and clean. Better than last week's plan. Boy, for sure. Compared uh, to that, this is much much more simple to pull off. Yeah. I'm going to play a clip and then I'm going to just kind of double down on on what you said yeah. too. All right. What are we doing? Doing uh, it's a jewelry store. Does this ring a bell? No. What if I tell you it's got a, a footlocker on one side and a Claire's accessories on the other? Yeah, that's right. You got it. Now listen. We don't want Tiffany's. We want a mom and pop operation in a busy place on a Saturday with a week's take still in the safe. Both work there. We know the safe combinations. We know the burglar alarm signals. We know everything is. I figure between the week's take, the jewelry and the cases, the vault, there's a $500,000 haul. I figure probably six. That old dumb old lady that works there, she's alone till soon. She's not going to be a problem. Now it's that moment is like, are we really thinking about what we're thinking of doing? And then I think for Hank, I think maybe the answer is a little bit easier because for him to get out of his troubles, which we already kind of preface on the side, he's having an affair with his brother's wife in his apartment. They, they meet every Thursday afternoon or whatever. Straight Shantate. Exactly. And but to get out of his financial troubles, maybe ten, twenty thousand would be good to get him Easy. back on the right track. Sure. Yeah. And I think for Philip Seymour Hoffman, this is even a good plan for him because he doesn't have to do anything other than fence the diamonds. Yep. Uh he doesn't have to go do the actual act of it. So um yeah, you're right. I'll double down on what you said. This is a great plan. How could this miss? Now, what element is it that totally screws everything up? Is it Rosemary Harris? being the one working there that day, or is it this guy going in with the gun? The entire film, Ethan Hawke is called a baby. Mm -hmm. Baby being that the second of the two brothers born, but you know, like, Oh, the baby of the family Mm -hmm. is sort of a term of endearment. I think this is more a staple or a curse, if you will, to mediocre. Okay. He's such a baby. He's a pussy. He's a baby. Like those Mm -hmm. terms are used interchangeably when it comes to that version of baby, not like, Oh, sweet baby. Yeah. It's demeaning to him, yeah. That's the word I wanted. Thank you, demeaning. Good job. Um, I knew there was a reason I hired you to co-host this with me. (laughs) Uh, They show up at this jewelry store. Hanson's Jeweler, I believe, is the name of it because the family's name is Hanson, right? Yep. 
and he can't pull it off because he's too scared. Now, robbing your own family store or robbing any store would be difficult. In a weird way, though, it's sort of advantageous that he has someone help him because since mom is there, she would know in a hot second that behind that stupid ski mask or that ridiculous mustache, yeah. Beastie Boys, uh, Paul's, That's exactly bo- Paul's boutique. What it is. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. Paul's boutique disguise. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that she would know it was him. Yep. Okay, so, so far, plan seems solid. Mm-hmm. We can argue about the take, and it's small, but for, why can't I remember Ethan Hawke's name in this? Hank. God, Hank. Yeah. But for Hank's character, more than enough. And I guess maybe for Andy's enough to get to Brazil. So, okay, we can argue about the take. But uh, so far, all of the boxes seem to be mostly checked and we're mostly on. And then you get a little bit of fortune here, too. Yeah. Because the hired help isn't there and mom is there. She would, like, you and I can put whatever disguise we wanted. The minute we spoke to our mother, she'd be like, oh, my God, Matt, you are not really dressed up like Frankenstein's <laughs> yeah. monster. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. you. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. The problem, though, is... The same thing keeps coming up and up and up again. And it's, is Hank such a baby and so immature that he doesn't know what he's doing? Or is he just such a coward I think that he doesn't know what he's doing? I think it's that. Man, and for that problem, that internal conflict, cowardice that Hank has, and he pays a severe price, but kind of doesn't at the end at the same time. Yeah. And so if this is a story about right or wrong and how that plays out, boy, there's a lot of gray in this. Mm-hmm. Because you know who's not scared and not a coward? Yeah, Andy. Andy. Yeah. Captain Control, right? Yeah, Andy on the side, you know, he's got a, a staff meeting coming up and he's got time to do a line of cocaine real quick Jeez, just in, in his thing. And then like he just cut out of work. And this was the hardest scene of the movie to watch just because of... Philip Seymour Hoffman's real life was just this heroin dealer that he keeps going to. This is where all his money's going to. So let's let's talk about him, and I'm going to bring in another element that yeah. further complicates everything else. Um, I just want to say one thing before you do this. Don't forget. Yeah. The complications at this point are all the external factors, mm-hmm. not the actual action they're trying to carry out, which would be the heist. Yeah. That's simple. Yeah, it's very, all the very. other periphery bullshit that is making this so complicated. Well, okay. Well, the one on. I was going to mention real quick is, uh, you know, is, you, sorry. is Albert Finney. Yeah. He could be the one at the jewelry store that day, but he's got to go to the DMV to go do a driving test. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. just those simple things that put people in places where they probably shouldn't is why we're in the situation that we're in. Okay. Yes. Go. Yeah. I stole your thunder. Sorry. Go. Uh, so Andy yeah. is embezzling money at his company. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but it's a very lucrative firm. He's pulling Real estate. in 600000 a year, I think he said, is his salary. That's nice. Um, yeah. But embezzling funds, I think, to go to just his drug habit. Yep. Uh, when he goes to pop, it looks like he's throwing down $1,000, $2,000 just for a hit mm-hmm. at this... That, that, that that's a weird scene too of this guy and this just like his like job and like he's like in his kimono and it's it reminded me of uh, Eric Stoltz in Pulp Fiction but Boogie. like high class <laughs> Eric Stoltz or Boogie Nights or oh, there you go. yeah um, yeah Alfred Molina the, Alfred Molina yeah this guy seen all right anyway yeah so we've seen this character before but yeah he's just embezzling months and then he's taking it because he's got this crazy drug habit. Mm-hmm. And that's probably maybe what's kind of drifting him and his wife apart a little bit is this abuse of narcotics. Yeah. So 
this is why we're in the situations we're in. It's just, I need money to further fuel my drug habit because I'm in the red big yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And they're doing an audit at his work and they want to know where he is. So they're going to find out about him on Monday. Yeah. Where this money's going, how much is missing, who's responsible for it. And he's that's why he's like, I got to get this 60K to get to Brazil because then I'm off the grid. That's his plan. And... You know, it, it just gets so complicated. It just gets so complicated with all with the weeds of this very simple heist and the way it plays out. Um, yeah, how much money has gone in his veins or up his nose from this drug dealer? Six figures? I don't know. It depends on how long he's been doing it. The other thing, too, that's brought up a little bit later on in the film is the last time that he was kind of really capable of having sex with his wife mm-hmm. was on vacation. And most of the time it seems to be some battle with impotence or interest or something along those lines stateside. I want to ask you a question because this threw me this time and I'm not sure how to read this. Okay. After he goes to visit his drug dealer in that apartment, there clearly is a protocol they go through, gets a tonic water, takes off his shirt the guy, I think it's, I don't know if it's freebasing. I don't know. Injects him with something. It's in a spoon. Is that freebasing? Is that heroin? heroin, Straight heroin? Okay. It's heroin. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom will be happy to know that I don't know how to do (laughs) that. Good, good, good. (laughs) You too. (laughs) But then we cut to a little bit later. Yeah. And the drug dealers in bed Mm -hmm. seeming to be naked. Yeah. Did they just finish fucking? Maybe. It's so, again, you talk about a lot of the gray in this film. This is where that exists is... Is there another service being performed here as yeah. well? It's really not said. Um, what do you think? Well, they, the, he's in bed. The other guy, too, that they he kills that's, I think, already dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's naked, too. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know what this drug dealer guy is performing a double service. Maybe it's... Uh, house of Fun. Yeah. There, there you go. Upscale House of Fun. And Andy's smart about it. I mean, he takes a taxi here. He's not going to be traced to this place. Mm-hmm. I mean... He's not a stupid guy. I mean, he, no. he knows what he's he's doing. Um, but yeah, maybe. Maybe. Did you think that? I, I did think it a little bit. Because, you know, the post-euphoric, I mean, that can be induced to a drug high or sure. sex. Um, I, possibly. Possibly. So again, this is getting more complicated by the second. Mm-hmm. Again, if it's money, what do you need the money for? And if the goal is to finish out a nice, loving life and relationship with the way mother and father Hanson have, mm-hmm. neither of these two boys is able to do it, which goes back. And I hope you have the sound. Do you have the sound between Albert Fenny and, okay, so we'll do that in a little while. Yeah. Uh, or maybe we should do it now because I think that this sort of. Well, let's get to the midpoint here because now we've reached the point where the heist has gone to complete hell. Yeah. And the one factor that we don't know that we didn't know at the beginning is Rosemary Harris has died now. Yeah. So there's actual. By dad's decision to like pull the plug. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you picked him up. Yeah. At his house. Did anyone see you there at his house? Did anyone see you at his no, house? No, no, no. Nobody saw you at the no. house. Did you, did you clean the car? Did you wipe the car down? Uh-huh. Totally. Did you wipe the totally. Car? totally. Uh, did you leave anything in the car? No, of course not. We're probably okay. 
they don't connect the car to us, we're probably okay. That's what I was thinking. So it, it, you can just tell by the way they're emoting that it's it's starting to come apart already. Yeah. What did they leave behind? What did you touch? What did you do there? And we find out they rented this car, uh, and he did leave something behind. He left because I, I thought about you because <laughs> Ethan Hawke's listening to like folk uh, yacht rock music in in his car, probably Christopher Cross or Ugh. or Seals and Croft or. <laughs> Uh, any one number of those people, and then his, Jerry Rafferty, yeah, and then his buddy comes in and is just like uh, uh, disturbed or mentally is like, and that's how he gets hyped to go do a heist. And when he leaves to go do it, he puts the folk rock back in, but he leaves the CD in the car, and so he has to go pick it up. And the guy wants ID; he doesn't want to show him ID. Like they they see how they're slipping up, like already. Yeah, uh, I, I like that. I was like, oh man, so, so the, Matt would not be listening to them in the car before the heist. You know, it's funny. Too. To, about that totally sidetrack. We were yeah. talking about Cobra Kai off mic. Yeah. As Johnny has taught oh, yeah. Miguel to really come to appreciate or worship at the altar of poison and warrant. Yes. Fucking Daniel LaRusso. Christopher Cross. Christopher Cross? Yes, I thought about and you. he's like, this is some really good stuff. It wasn't all hard metal. And they, I'm like, no, yeah, sailing. I, I remember. I, you pussy, Daniel. I thought about God. You yes, that was. Christopher, ride like the wind. That was funny. That was good. <laughs> Yacht Rock Pukeville. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That, I digress. Sorry. Back to. <laughs> yeah, so he didn't. He All right. Little mistake, but one you could have made. Mm-hmm. He's really good about wiping the car down. Yeah. So there shouldn't be any fingerprints, although when he leaves, he puts his fingerprints back on the handle again. Yeah. But he wipes the car clean, so maybe it's not traceable. And then, like, what happens to a lot of people is you forget the other guy's CD. Mm-hmm. That's not his music. He wouldn't listen to that CD. Yeah. That's that other dude's, right? Unless mm-hmm. that was the, maybe it is his CD. Maybe it's the Yacht Rock CD. Maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know. It could be either one, yeah. Man, I leave stuff behind all the time. Mm-hmm. It goes to this, as simple as this heist might be. And we've said, I think, pretty simple because you know the landscape so well. Yep. Man, it's hard to pull it off. Even if there's not all of this external periphery noise and nonsense that's making it more difficult, it is so hard Mm -hmm. to cover your tracks in 20 or 207, Mm -hmm. even 2022 now. Yep. God, 15 years ago already, huh? Yeah. Wow. Long time. Shoo. Um that even if everything is perfect, it's very, very hard to pull this 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 off. Mm-hmm. Let's introduce <sighs> the next complication. Yo, okay. Yo. I'm going to be straight with you, Chico. Mind if I call you Chico? Mind if I call you Chico? People call me Hank. Bobby was a piece of shit. I know it, you know it. That's not the point. The point is that piece of shit was the father of my sister's child. Shit. And he was paying the bills. And now he's dead, and I'm thinking, who's going to pay all these bills? I'm so sorry. I, I got to tell sorry you. Sorry ain't going to pay the I bills, just, Chico. I know. I know. You need to negotiate a settlement, so make me an offer. Uh, ten grand. Done. It's, it's, ten grand. It's, it's, I consider a seat. <laughs> if you don't ten. like ten, I can make it fifteen. No, my sister wants me to kill you. Or I could call the cops. But I don't like cops, and the cops ain't gonna pay my sister's bills. Uh, Michael Shannon, like, when's that guy not good in a movie? I mean, he's just always slimy, mysterious. Whether it's Zod mm. or you know Bug or 
take shelter. I mean, this, he's so good in so many things. But here, here's another complication. Okay, your mom's dead, botched heist. The cops are investigating. They're trying to figure out that. Now you have a guy here that says, you need to pay me $10,000 or I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Where are we going to get the money from now? The heist went kaput. We got nothing from it. No rewards. None of the 60K that was promised to us. What are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? What other heist are we going to do? We're not in a position to just drum up 10K right now. Right. Brutal. I love it. I, I love how just com- more complicated it's going to get before we finish out. <sighs> Got to be pretty close to Michael Shannon's first appearance in film. Uh, Got to be. No? He was in Pearl Harbor. That was a one. Oh, God, really? Yeah. All right. So anyway, never mind. If... Hank pulls this heist off without any help or tries it without any help. I don't think it goes any better. Mm -hmm. Maybe mom isn't dead because she would recognize it's her son long before we ever had the shootout that we see in the film to kind of open the movie. But as there's a bit of fate that interplays to the way the heist works out, with him using this guy that's essentially a busboy at um, Goodies or whatever restaurant they're drinking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start to have all of these outside influences continually trickle in to this main vein. And so what might have been the crack in your windshield, the pit in your windshield from the rock, it just is a tiny little star. Mm-hmm. It is branching and spider webbing yeah. big time now. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to clean that up is to remove the pit. Mm -hmm. Well, if the pit was the heist gone wrong, you can't do that now because it's too late. So now you have to stop the spider web shattering effect from spreading any further. And the (laughs) sad and invariable unmoving conclusion that we're going to come to is I'm going to have to wax all these people. (laughs) Yeah. So now we get into from this point forward, Mm -hmm. Mind if I call you Chico? Yeah. A really dark period in the film. Yeah. Hank and Andy are at odds. They would be because it's a heightened situation and neither one of them want to do time. Mm-hmm. But too many people are starting to... You also to... don't want dad to find out that their mother died because of you guys. Right. And I think that's the big crisis at the flux of this film for me is when is he going to find out? And he's going to find out. Um, but not before we get to that scene that you, that you referenced uh, a second ago. The funeral bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he needed us more. Yeah, he needed you more. You sure it wasn't his cute looks, his puppiness? You were the first. The first I was as it, Rafa. Yeah, so I'm told. You know, the four of you, I just never felt like I was part of the club. Beautiful birds of a feather. You sure I'm your son? It was a real slap, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, Albert Finney's really good in this movie, too. I think this is the first time we've ever done a movie with him in it. Yeah. 
when I was watching it this time, I was like, gosh, he looks just like Winston Churchill. Mm. Did he play Winston Churchill? I looked it up, and for HBO, made for HBO movie called uh, The Gathering Storm, he played Winston Churchill. I was like, perfect, because he looks just like him. Perfect, exactly. <laughs> great, great cast. This is a brutal scene. I mean, this is essentially Hoffman not wanting to realize that he is a become his father, mm-hmm. be trying to distance himself from what his family is or isn't, and saying, yeah, am I even part of this family? Which at this moment in this period of trauma for this family right now, you're not going to say things like that. So Albert Finney rightfully gives his son a slap across the face, but you kind of don't go there either as a father. You know what I mean? Like that's also a line you don't cross. Uh, I, I could see Albert Finney smacking his son for the disrespectful tone that that implies about his mother. Yeah. The really tragic part for this, though, to me is he, if he didn't want to become his dad, he was on the road to being his dad anyway. Mm-hmm. A little cold, but if the money thing works out and he can kick the drug habit, if, 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 mm-hmm. I think that's the ultimate goal is to make things right with Gina. Yeah. I think that is his ultimate goal. Think yeah. about this, too. If Get he makes to Brazil. And what would they do in Brazil, Jesse? Probably open up some small business. Might it be a jewelry store? Who knows? Might it be a taco stand? I don't know. But it might have been something. Mm -hmm. He's on his way to doing that anyway. So does Andy not want to become his father? Or does he want to become his father? Just a better version. Or this poor man who makes some very questionable decisions especially from this point going forward in the film is so riddled with complexity in what his final resting state will be. And I don't mean interred. I mean, domestically Mm -hmm. got a nice wife who seems to care about him, who actually we're going to find out pretty soon. Isn't really after him for the money. She just wants to be, you know, attractive. Yeah. That's a whole other thing too, which I hope we get to in a minute. Mm Mm-hmm in a nice place where they can start anew, maybe have a family without all the periphery bullshit that is in there. And here's why I'm going to give you one more thing that I think tells me that he's even closer to being his father than he is. If the road to legitimacy that is in Brazil with Gina post this nonsense goes through a jeweler who's willing to fenced to willing to fence the stolen goods. Mm -hmm. How is it? that Albert Finney seems to know the same guy and is very well or very familiar with the nefarious piece of that business that that guy has dealt in. Mm -hmm. Has he maybe established himself through a similar pattern? I don't know if it's right. He has to have because, yeah, I wondered that myself when he goes to him because then that's the clue that clues him into his son. Uh, they're mirror images of each other mm -hmm. minus the drugs. Unless Albert Finney does a bunch of drugs and has a, yeah, maybe, maybe he got clean. Do you know what I mean though? Yeah, They're walking the same path. They literally are. Yeah. So in that, in that bit that you just played, I think Andy is remorseful because they weren't as close as they wanted, as he wanted the relationship to be between the two of them. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do think he really admires his father, whether it's blatant or subconscious, because he is on the same trajectory. Mm -hmm. Okay. And maybe he's just trying to get away from the trajectory. Maybe he just doesn't want to be that. 
Yeah, maybe. I don't Which know. Which is why that's Brazil's the option for him. It's also his own doing that he's been embezzling thousands of dollars for his drug habit. Right. It's just brutal. I mean, like you said, like, we're just like, these people are so despicable at this point. I mean, there's, I don't know, there's no way we can redeem anybody at this point. It's just, we have to see this whole thing crumble. Like, and that we're just watching the show at this point. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, this is, I, I, I'm, I miss him taken way too yeah. soon because of the drug habit. It just, it, it got the better of him. Well, tell, give him the quick story. You told me, tell them. Well, I was curious. Cause I was like, gosh, like this heroin scene. I was like, that's a little too close to mm-hmm. how he went. Yeah. So he was, uh, a dr- when he was in acting school, he abused drugs heavily and then checked himself into rehab and was clean for 22, 23 years and then relapsed in 2013 and then died the next year. So when did he do Capote? 13? Uh, 07 or 05, maybe. I wonder what his last film was. Uh, probably The Hunger Games. He was in those latter two sequels, Mockingjay 1 and 2. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he was clean through this whole time. So you would never know. I mean, this is just a good actor on display. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons why I miss him so much is the following scene is his tantrum in the car. Ooh. He can't do that. It's not. Fair, like he just lets it all out on the table, and him and Tomei are just like they're so good. He's just so good at emoting. I mean, I can't think of another actor like maybe Robin Williams was able to kind of toy that line between being funny in a lot of films and being like downright serious in like Dead Poet Society or uh, Insomnia or mm. One Hour Photo. Because we've seen Philip Seymour Hoffman play like goofballs before, yeah. Twister, uh, Big Lebowski, even almost famous. I mean, Lester Bangs is a bit of a goof. Yeah, and then we see him play characters like this, Capote, uh, Ides of March, uh, Mission Impossible Three, and he's just Boogie like, Nights. and he's just killer, killer. You know, great. He's a bit of a goofball in Boogie Nights yeah. as well. But I've never seen an actor be able to toy that line between utterly ridiculous and downright like. One of the best actors I've ever seen on screen. Well, don't forget Magnolia, too, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really talented at mm-hmm. what he did. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of those people and really, really tortured at the same time. Yeah. The that's, hard, that's a hard life. You know what I mean? Like That's why you and I are never going to sell a screenplay. <laughs> we don't want to go down There's that path. There's just not enough sadness. Well, that's I've always thought, too. I was like, gosh, I would love to have a band and just like... You know, like a band like from the 70s and 80s where you just make the most rockin' music of all time, but then you're like touring like 300 days out of the year. No, you don't want that life. That's why all those guys abuse stuff too. I have a better idea. Okay. Why don't you just have a podcast and drink on it once a week? There we go. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. Cheers to your leg. Cheers to your leg. Uh, So let's complicate this thing even more. So it's around this time now that, you know, Andy comes home. And Marissa Tomei just has her bags packed. And he's like, what's going on here? Like, she's like, I'm unhappy. I don't know if you can't tell. Oh, and by the way, I'm having sex with your brother. (laughs) What a shot of all the people. Yeah, that's what makes it even worse. It's not just a stranger or everything that it's like an even deeper wound with like Epsom salt on, on top of that. Yeah. That makes it even worse. You know what I mean? Yes. These familial ties that are already damaged because of everyone's response to everything. And now this. So what, what's he going to do with that information is like, I'm going to kill my brother now. Like, how dare he betray me like this? But that's not the path that they go down right away. But brutal. It's a brutal complicated. And then you mentioned something, too, about like what, what she wants out of it all. He finds me attractive even when we're not on vacation. Mm. So we meet every Thursday and, and we fuck. And he finds me attractive. And it's really simple. And there it is. And he says, my brother. Yeah, Hank. And then she waits for a response. Mm-hmm. Aren't you going to say something? 
Yeah, he takes it kind of well. And you know what he does? Yeah. Her final request is, I need some money. He gives her some money. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's the last thing the two of them do together. He mm-hmm. handles it too well. It's almost scarily too well. But mm-hmm. you do get where he throws the temper fit in the car with his dad's semi-apology. You're going to get the sedated version of Charles Foster Kane destroying his domicile oh, yes. from Citizen Kane here. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a more well-tempered room destruction scene. He kind of just starts knocking things over, but in a very gentle way. And the hardest bit mm-hmm. is that seashell table ornament. With the rocks in it? With the rocks in it that yeah. he just slowly dumps out. And I swear to God, those <laughs> rocks are falling in slow motion and ding, 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 yep. ding, 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 off the table. Mm-hmm. This guy is broken but he can't even or won't even allow himself to let go to get it out. That's that seems hard, hard for me to watch. Yeah. The Charles Foster Kane freak out yeah. is hard to watch. This is worse. So someone at the brink of just completely just shattering those freak out scenes are those are tough for you. Because hmm. it's their entire character just crumbling internally and externally. Yeah. It's both. Yep. It's physical and it's uh and psychological as well. Yeah, that's so, okay, we need 10K because this guy's going to come kill. Andy, this guy's going to come and kill us. What are we going to do? We're in the shit now, Andy. Um, I know where we can get money. Meet me here. So we go to the drug dealer's house. And now we're he's got a gun. He's holding the guy. He kills the other per, uh, participant who's, you know, tweaking on the bed. He kills him. He kills the drug dealer. And Hank's like, Andy, what are you doing, man? Like, this isn't the way to get the money. Right. Kind of is the only way to get the money at this point. And then it's when dad goes to the fencer yeah. and finds out that Andy left his card. I'm like, oh, I don't know why Andy did that. If any, there was a slip-up move, that was kind of a slip-up. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of looked like you, by the way. He gave me this card, Andy Hansen, and now dad knows exactly what way. He puts it all together. Even in his almost like Alzheimer's-ridic mind, like mm-hmm. he can't drive. I mean, he's wrecking into everything. He wrecked into a cop car earlier. And I think that's on purpose, though. Yeah, that's on purpose. But then later, comedically, yeah. he's like trying to get out of the street, and then here come the cops, and then the ambulance is coming here, and he just like like move, get out of the way, sir. Like he can't get out. So yep. I mean, he's elderly, he's struggling. But we got the money, and we're gonna try and go pay off Michael Shannon. It's just brutal. I mean, he's just completely coming apart. Kills him. Uh, looks like he's gonna kill Hank too. He's like, and Hank is the most troubling part of the film for me. Is just like. You know what, Andy? He's like, I know about you. I know about you and Gina. I know what you've been doing. And Hank's just like, you know what, Andy? Just go ahead and do it. This is this is the exit I've been waiting for. You know what I mean? I just haven't had the courage to do it. This conversation is happening as Michael <laughs> Shannon is held at gunpoint as yes. they're trying to figure out whether he's going to continue to bleed them dry, blackmailing them, or if this is a ten grand payoff and away we go. And then we're done, yeah. It's all coming out. And I'll remind everyone, what started off as a pretty seemingly easy heist to pull off has now devolved into whatever on God's green earth this now is. Mm-hmm. And Michael Shannon's at gunpoint and he and his brother are having this come to Jesus meeting over the affair that brother is having with sister-in-law. And we know that this is an unhinged man, that being Andy, because we watched him kill his drug dealer. Yeah. So 
what's what's going to happen. Yeah, what, Strangely, well, how this does happen, though, what sort of shakes out here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they shoot Shannon. I think he dies. Yeah, I think so, too. I think they, they get someone out in a, in a black bag, and I think that's him. It would have to be, right? And then... There's another body in there. Yeah, and then we think he's going to kill Hank, and Hank's just like, you know what? Do it. You know, I got no money. Yeah. I can't pay my ex I don't care. Do it, yeah. You know, just, just end me now. Yep. Which is, that's brutal, too. Like, Dad can't find out about, you just kill me. So then the, the the mother shoots Andy. <laughs> so, uh, and then she's like, go get out of here now. And that's the last we see of Hank. We just see him running down the street. His dad's like, Hank, Hank. And yeah. we don't see them reconcile or put anything together. I mean, what happens to Hank after this thing? I mean, does he just take off? And he goes to Brazil, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to pay for it, but. I always wonder if the money that he leaves Michael Shannon's sister as he exits is all of it, or if he keeps some of it for himself, he could have still, it's not much. It's only 10 grand. If it's even 10 grand, who knows if they even gave him the right amount. Brutal. But then he, we get, but that's the end of his story. Yeah. That's the end of him. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Uh, I, I kind of wanted a little bit more yeah, something uh, just to wrap up like where he went. Cause we just see him running down the street and that's it. Uh, just something to tie it all together. But you know, we do get this crazy finale with Albert Finney. Mm-hmm. And I for, I kind of forgot a little bit about this scene, watching it this time of how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Albert Finney goes to visit Philip Seymour Hoffman, who didn't die from the gunshot wound in the hospital. And, you know, Hoffman's trying to apologize and, and this, but, I mean, Finney's having none of this at this point. Right. And then I was like, what what is he doing? So he does these tests of, like, turning off the, what do they call that, the, 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 the machine? EKG The thingy. EKG machine, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's like, nurse, this thing is turning off. Oh, it's glitchy. If it happens again, ignore it. So he's like, oh, I got a window. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, why is he taking his shirt off? I was like, this is bizarre. But no, he puts the the paddles, the the sensors on him. That way it still registers a heartbeat so they don't come in to resuscitate Andy. And then just chokes him out yep. with the pillow. With the pillow. It's so, And then Philip Seymour Hoffman's so weak and because he's been shot. He can't even fight back. Maybe like a few swipes and then yelling dad, but then he's like, I'm, I'm ending you for what you did. Brutal that it would come to that. Uh, that I think that's the most tragic thing. But uh, this dad, you killed my wife. You set this stage. Maybe he was right. Maybe you aren't my son, you know, metaphorically. Mm. Maybe you are that much removed from the cloth that, that, you know, that, that we made. Wow. You are blood, but maybe you're not. If you've gone down this path, but, but that's peculiar too, because we kind of said they maybe walked the same road as well. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. Um, I think probably from dad's loins biologically, mm-hmm. but as much as they are the same character, they did not have a pleasant childhood or a pleasant upbringing together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the questions in that are, is it about ambition? Is it about jealousy? Is it about regret? Um, is it about just failed parenting techniques? There's a million things you could bring in that might pose an answer as to why the relationship is strained. Here's the big one, though, Jesse. Okay. Is it this simple? Is it that Andy, just at his innate core, is a dick? Just an asshole? Could be. I mean, he's just he really is pretty hateable in this movie. Yeah. Hank may be incapable, but I don't think we find him detestable no i don't think so if there was anyone we were going to redeem it probably would have been him yeah yeah 
But Andy, no. I mean, he was just kind of bad from scene two that we saw him in when he's pitching him on this horrible thing. Bad seed, man. I mean, bad seed. Yeah. No, that's great. And then the movie ends. I mean, Albert Finney walks out. They come and resuscitate. But, you know, I don't think there's much they're going to be able to do for Andy. And then, like, I kind of thought that was a final, interesting final shot as he kind of walks down this hallway. And it's almost like... You know, the pearly gates, like almost like he was dying now, but like, I don't, I don't know. And then I thought about the title again, may it be 30 minutes in that before the devil knows you're dead. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's a dysfunctional family. Unlike one you've ever seen in film. Like th- these people are messed up like big time. So is this a heist movie wrapped inside a family drama oh. or is this just a family drama wrapped inside a heist movie? Uh, maybe. What that, is this? Maybe that one. I think it's the latter as well. Because the heist is so simple, as we uh, explained, and and pretty minimal, but it is so important to the plot of the film. Yeah. But all the family stuff that comes out as a result of said heist is so grandiose. Uh, So Strange to think about it this way, that per Mm beat-wise, even as much as this is out of the normal sequencing of beats, the inciting incident is kind of the bank heist, which in most films would probably be the midpoint sure. or the turning point of act two. Mm-hmm. Strange. And but, then from that, it devolves or evolves, not devolves, bad word, evolves into the machinations of this family and the broken dynamics that we witness on the silver screen. Well, I would kind of want to know. I mean, there's so little written about this film, just production wise and just behind the scenes. I kind of want to know how uh, Kelly wrote this screenplay. Do, do you write this in order? And then is Sidney Lumet the one who's kind of putting things, you know, out of order to, you know, tell a jumbled story that is completed by the end. Uh, I don't know. Cause even the way it's written or shown to us, that's kind of hard to write, you know, going back and forth and making sure you setting up and paying off everything, but it's all jumbled. Let's go one more. Okay. So the writing is odd. Yeah. Think about the pitch or the sale of this. Oh gosh. How? So, <laughs> you know, whatever the pitch is, and then you end up robbing your parents' jewelry store only to find out that the woman working who was supposed to be the hired help is your mother, and the associate that you brought with you to help you pull off the heist has murdered her. And then the the producer's going to be like, and? And then from that point, we watch the family slowly deteriorate until... How does that pass, 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 pass? Maybe Sidney Sidney Lumet's... Um, name is new. Just, of, new, this had to have been a favor, yeah, or uh, something. He he got a hold of it and he was like, "I want to do that." That seems like my cup of tea. Like I feel like his the good graces of his name are helping get this made. Oh sure, that got a green lit. Yeah, I yeah. Having been in that pitch room many sure, times, I know that it sounds. You it, and I would have been like, we can't really say that. We have to pitch something else. It sounds boring. Like it just sounds like just such a vanilla pitch. But when you see it all pieced together, and that's Lumet. You know what I mean? Like that's his uh, his greatness as a director is being able to just kind of stage it and put it all together the way he does. Yeah. He did the same thing with Dog Day too. I mean, it was the the well the pacing that he does in his films. Like uh, Twelve Angry Men's the same way. I mean, mm-hmm. for a film that's in one room, my God, uh, is paced expertly yeah. um, with rising tensions and conflicts, and that's something he's just really good at is creating conflicts amongst his characters. You're right. Uh, what was your favorite tasting note of Before the Devil Knows You're Dead? Oh boy, that's tough when there's so many. Uh, I think that exchange between Albert Finney and Philip Seymour Hoffman outside when he gets Slapped. smacked yeah. is 
one of the combined best acting performances that I've seen. You know, I always talk about the picnic scene in The Hustler. Yeah. And I always talk about the George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez out of mm-hmm. sight, mm-hmm. dueling, stripping on both sides of the bed. There's, yeah. I don't know if I'd go quite there with this, but boy, it is two masters at their craft really showing their wares. Mm-hmm. It And it feels really natural. Yeah. And that's a gift. So I think I'm just going to appreciate that as my my answer for your question there, Tasty. Okay. What's Interesting. Yours? I think I'm going to go with, when we see the heist for real the the first time from Hawk's perspective, because then we see it again from Finney as he leaves and then comes back in the aftermath. But from his perspective, we can fully see how truly wrong everything goes and how unequipped he is to handle said situation because yeah. he goes into panic mode instantly. Yeah. Uh, I like seeing that, being that we already knew that how that was going to happen mm-hmm. because we saw it in the beginning. So. I like that the film was able to kind of give us fresh perspectives on the same scene from different points of view. Yeah, good. Uh, what's the oh my God! moment of before the devil knows you're dead or you need some more Basil Hayden's toast to wash that out of your mouth? Watching Albert Finney choke out his son. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good one. That's hard. Oh, gosh. I think I want to go with uh, uh, Seymour Hoffman's freak out. I mean. Which one? Car. Uh, the, in the car, yeah. Because to me, that was almost not acting, you know what I mean? Like, to me, I could believe that as a real person doing something like that after what his dad did to him. Uh, and to his credit, I mean, he sold it so good. I mean, he's like, well, I've, what did he say? He's like, he's like, my dad, he's not supposed to do that. It's like, he almost sounds childish in that scene. Like, that's why I called it a tantrum. You're Perfectly stated, it was. Yeah, I think, it is. I think that's, and I think that was just rough. If you had a rough of the room destruction scene, like I, it, when people get to that emotional level, it's like, oh man, it's a little too much, but I love it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Who's the master distiller on before the devil knows you're dead? Ooh. A few we could probably pick from, yeah. Yeah, I think there is. Um, You know, I think I might be inclined to do Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball here and give it to Ethan Hawke because mm-hmm. I wonder if his version of Hank gives a really ripe field for Hoffman's version of Andy to truly flourish because they are so polar opposite. Um, well, He's a good foil to him too. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I'm going to go with Ethan Hawke. That's good. Have we done Ethan Hawke movie on this? Oh, we did Training Day. Yeah, we trained, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we would... He's so understated, you know what I mean? Whether it's Gattaca or the Before Trilogy, I mean, Hawke plays so many different ways. I'll give it to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Sure. I mean, this is just another great performance in his litany of amazing performances, so... He's incredible in this thing. And if there's, it's an ensemble film, but if there's anyone we could like pigeon as the lead, it's probably him. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It's just, anytime I see him on film, I just, even something like Along Came Polly, Rain Dance, it's, I miss all of that. It's just, if there was an acting debt that really got to me uh, in the last 25 years, it was his. I mean, like, I just thought of just how many movies he wasn't going to be in where he could just do this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got to <laughs> give it to him. How are you going to rate and grade this film? We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Single Barrel. Yeah. Uh, really well-directed film. That's not going to be the most pleasant. What am I going to do on a Sunday na- Sunday well, afternoon watch? Do not. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a pretty dark movie. Yeah. Uh, I can appreciate the craft. I appreciate even more that it was specced. Mm. 
Um, I just think it's really well done and well portrayed before your eyes. And if you can have a failed heist in the first 25 minutes of film be what would sound to be like a monumental moment, Mm -hmm. one of the less tense movies in tense moments in the film. And the rest of it is around drama domestic. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm already interested and skeptical until you can prove me wrong and this would do so. Yeah. I think I'm going to go single barrel too, but mainly from how you presented it to me, it's just a film that like not a lot of people talk about. Uh, I don't know if people watch it. It's very rarely on streaming services. I mean, it's hard to find actually. I mean, um, I rented it and I know you own it, um, but I think it's just unique in that regard that it's, I think, a fairly underappreciated film that just went under the radar of more critically praised films uh, when this probably, you know, deserves its reappraisal by a lot of people to, to check out. I mean, you can't beat the cast. I mean, the cast is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Shannon, Marissa Tomei, Albert Finney, Ethan Hawke, Hoffman. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a unique movie for sure. And like you said, the the heist is fairly minimal and... What we get is human drama, which we don't really tend to enjoy. I mean, we don't really watch a lot of those films, but here you just get so engrossed by how everything falls apart. And I think that's why I like it. I like films where just everything just gets worse and worse and worse for the characters. And then it doesn't even have to end good for them. It can just keep getting worse. Yeah. Uh, We don't need a happy ending. This film does not have that, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) No, it does not. It just has an ending. Excellent. Well, to that, uh, love that. Cheers to your rating. Cheers to your rating. Excellent. Let's wrap up with your recommendations in our nightcap. All righty. What do you got for us? First one I want to give you is an ensemble piece. Um, Robert Altman, mm. Shortcuts. Also an amazing cast and a lot of really interesting stories that are all sort of intertwined in California over the course of a weekend and an earthquake. Mm-hmm. But each one of the stories in there is really, really good. And I want to point out the Julianne Moore scene where she has an argument with Matthew Modine, her husband. Mm. And how that goes down. Marianne, you're not wearing any underwear. (laughs) And then the other one is Jack Lemmon's admission to, who the hell is it? Is it Lyle Lovett? Lyle Lovett, wow. (sighs) Who is it? Um, On the affair that they had, that he had in his mom with... uh, I forget, I forget who the opposite is, um, but Jack Lemons, it's, he's in it for one scene, what? and that's it. I got to tell you, for um, I haven't seen it, so that's a great recommendation. I'm adding it to my list to watch. Uh, I get that one and the player confused yeah. a lot. I don't know why, because it's ensemble. It's like... Back-to-back films for Altman. Yeah, I, I get both of those confused. I've seen the player. I haven't seen Shortcuts. Yeah, okay. so there's one. Excellent. Second, um, this came up because of the book that you gave me that I'm reading about Schlesinger and um, Midnight Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Diana. It's okay. a Julie Christie vehicle. <sighs> Mid 60s. Okay. That that and then that time that we like. Sure. Man, she's very irreverent and it's an interesting um look at 
femininity and sexuality. And I don't really know if I loved it. I just thought it was interesting. Okay. Um, so there's the first two. A couple other ones that um, honorable mention since you did it. Certainly my own private Idaho I think is worth a watch. If you haven't seen that, I think everybody ought to give that a go. River Phoenix and um, Keanu Reeves. It's an interesting little story. One that I've brought up quite a bit, and I don't know if you can find it, but if you ever can find it, second honorable mention, just because there's not a more appalling film that I have ever seen in my entire life. Oh, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Sweet Movie <laughs> yes. by Dusan Machiavea. I think I think we might be able to find it. I don't know, in some of my delvings into the Criterion Collection, I think it's on there. Good luck. we got to be able to find some sort of printing of that. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> and then I'm going to finish up with, um, is that three? No. Those are your honorable mentions. One more. I uh, got a couple to choose from here. Um, I'm going to go with Alzana's Raid. Okay. Burt Lancaster Western, super, super violent. It was not the John Ford stagecoach duel at high noon, church and bar kind of. Um, different Western. Very different Western. Alzana's Raid. Good, good choice. I've never even heard of that one, mm-hmm. so. There you go. Recommendations for me, but for the audience, seek these out, watch them uh, off the beaten path. I mean, indeed. Again, they might be kind of hard to find. I think I told you recently uh, I watched a lot of all of David Lynch's movies, and his last movie, Inland Empire, is like really, really hard to find. Like it's only been put on DVD once, no Blu-ray, no streaming, can't rent it anywhere. So I like, because I still subscribe to Netflix DVD, I was able to get it through there, but... Man, that thing's hard to find. So it's funny that, you know, that happens for some of these movies that they just, they kind of disappear a little bit. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's the beauty of some of these streaming services. They're able to get a hold of them and just give it a new life, give it a new audience. So yeah. to that, um, this has been a lot of fun talking about this film this day. I was glad we kind of wheeled our way around to talking about this one. We're going to wrap up our cast next week with uh, another huge ensemble film. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about this one. We're going to go to uh, Las Vegas with Mr. Danny Ocean and crew. Ocean's Eleven from 2001 or mm-hmm. 2000, I believe. This is going to be a lot of fun. When's the last time you watched Ocean's Eleven? I couldn't tell you. I a long like, time. Years. I, uh, it's going to be fun to talk about because the first Ocean's film I saw was 13, and I then went back and watched 11 and 12. I really like 13, so, mm-hmm. um, but 11's, you know, just classic heist film ensemble everyone's got their roles i mean it's clooney it's brad pitt it's the biggest actors in the world here collected uh this is gonna be a lot of fun to talk about yeah it's gonna be a good soderbergh we haven't done soderbergh before crazy this is the first one so this is gonna be good much different vein than the dark tone this week too exactly yeah a little (laughs) bit more light but (laughs) serious in its own regard so to that cheers cheers Cheers. check out before the devil knows you're dead um and check out uh uh, oceans 11 before next week's episode i believe it's on hbo max and maybe netflix so you have some ways to, to watch that one um but until next week uh i gotta get going i gotta go plan a heist but i'm gonna go heist for some barbecue I don't know how that's going to happen, but do you want to come with me? Yeah, I know the perfect one. It's between a Claire's okay. and a Foot Locker. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Let's go. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. 
Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is property of Think Film, Unity Productions, Lintz Film, Funky Buddha Group, and Capital Films, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. It's not fair! It's not fair! All my life, I've been afraid of becoming like him. All my life, all my life with you, and it's not fair. You can't just say sorry and make it all go away. It's too late. It's not that easy. It's not fair. It's not fucking fair. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. He can't do that.